Hello, my friends. This is Bishop Campbell welcoming you again to a short meditation on the theme of living the Catholic life. We have begun the experience of the month of May. And that month has always had a very interesting, very particular interest for uh, humans. In fact, some of the earliest poetry that we can discern in English or even in the uh, other languages, French, German, always celebrated the month of May. And there was always a sense of joyfulness, of profound hope in that month. And for Catholics, it has a particular reality because it is often called the month of Mary. Now, I do not know the precise details of the origins of this connection of the month of May and Mary, maybe because May was used as a nickname for for Mary. There was a neighbor of ours when I was growing up. We always called May, May Fian, but we later found out that her name was actually Mary Louise. And May always has a particular uh, interest for me because all of my ordinations as deacon, priest, and bishop occurred in May. But we began the month of May with a very interesting uh, feast day, the Feast of St. Joseph, the Worker. Because there is something else about May 1st, May Day, that I think touches very directly on a message that we can obtain from uh, meditating upon St. Joseph. May 1st in the late 18th and early 19th centuries was always associated with the working class, with the emerging class from the industrialization of the Western world. And eventually, by the end of the 19th century, the communist and socialist movement appropriated May Day as Workers' Day. It was associated with the parade, sometimes great protests and organizations into political movements. And I think it was because of this association, or I should say the appropriation, of the 1st of May by the socialist and communist movements that Pope Pius XII in 1955 instituted this feast of St. Joseph the Worker and placed it on May Day. I think both to recognize the growing importance of the working class, but also to emphasize the dignity of their work and to allow it to express a profound Christian faith rather than simply a political movement in a political protest. And it brought to people's minds of St. Joseph and the work he did, not as the guardian of Jesus, but simply as a worker, as a skilled laborer. And it was, of course, also the work of Joseph to teach his foster son, Jesus, a trade. And this was also an important uh, element, and I can't uh, overemphasize the extraordinary effect 
in the ancient world of the character of Joseph and Jesus as a carpenter on the sense of their attitude toward manual labor. In the Greek and Roman worlds, there was always a significant prejudice against working with your hands. There was always a preference, and this was supposed to be the uh, character of the true elite, on intellectual, mental uh, habits and mental work, on on literature, on philosophy, on, on drama and such things. For this they used to call the artes liberales, that is, the liberating, the freeing arts, as opposed to what they called servile arts, that is, arts or work that were really typical of slaves. They even divided uh, human creation into two characteristics. One was mental activity, philosophy, gifts, or really arts, poetry, drama, as opposed to technique, which is sort of like engineering, making things and whatnot. And uh, although the Greeks were very focused on this intellectual life, on being free in order to achieve the higher insights, although the Romans were touched by this Greek habit, the Romans were concerned sometimes by very practical things. That is, how do you build, how do you control, and how do you rule? They were lawyers and engineers. But still, they looked down on the necessity to actually work with your hands. And it was the Christians that slowly turned people's attention to the inherent dignity of the work that Joseph and Jesus and others of the early disciples did. Remember, St. Paul was very open about telling people, I do not depend on the gifts of others. I actually, even while preaching, uh, work at, at my trade, which was tent making. Peter was a fisherman. Matthew, a tax collector. Now, this sense of the dignity of manual labor and of all labor, uh, the freeing labor, the servile labor, it was all one. And it was all rooted in the sense of human work being rooted in the cooperation with God's creative activity. That God who shaped the human person out of the dust of the earth and breathed into it his own spirit, called humans to begin to work, to shape things. And it led, uh, especially Pope John Paul II, to devote a number of his speeches and a very important encyclical on not only the dignity of human work, but the necessity of human work for the development and flourishing of the human person. John Paul II had a very direct experience of working-class life. 
He worked in a chemical factory during the Nazi occupation of Poland. It must have been extremely arduous arduous work. And he did recognize that because of the introduction of sin into uh, human life, work can be toil. But that toil does not extinguish its inherent dignity. And work is important uh, for the human sort. Whether it be work with our hands, work with our minds, work with uh, the care of others, but it is important and necessary to a full human life. Now, John Paul II really described uh, the meaning of work for, for Christians. First of all, work is an expression of the meaning of human life, why we are here. We are here not to remain idle. We are here actually to work, to shape things. We shape our lives according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We shape the lives of others by our care and concern, by our handing on of skills and reality and moral ideas. We shape the world about us by what we do. And, in fact, what we, what we make, what we shape. We work because it is a calling by which we maintain our earthly existence. We work to live. We simply don't live to work, but we work to live. And, in fact, Pope Leo XIII, in his encyclical Rerum Novarum, pointed out that all human beings have to orient their work toward those moments of leisure, and that's not simply idleness, but leisure, by which they can understand more deeply who they are, why they are here, to enjoy a rest that allows their minds and their spirits to expand. We work also to provide for others particularly the family and another generation so that we might provide for their flourishing and their growth into full human dignity. But we work, Pope uh, St. John Paul II said, in order to express really the glory of God, the power of his creation, the extraordinary gifts that he gives us, to achieve this. Our work has an inherent dignity, the work of all sorts. It is important, it is life-giving, it is profoundly human. But I think in celebrating a feast like the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker, coming to understand the work we do and the dignity that it confers upon us, We are called to build a human society, all of us, that is more and more expressive of the power of the kingdom of God. We cannot establish the fullness of that kingdom on our own or perhaps in any point in our history. 
That will be done fully by the second coming of Jesus Christ. But as Catholics have always felt, creation around us is a revelation of God. The created order can express things of God. We use simple bread and simple wine to allow it to be transformed into the body and blood of Christ, the profoundest of all sustenance. And what we contribute, the work that we do, our attitude toward it is expressive of that presence of the kingdom of God among us. We have to be grateful for the figure of St. Joseph, although very little in the way of details is known about his actual day-to-day life. But the small fragments we have from the Gospels were so suggestive and so powerful that they allowed us to realize the profound meaning of the presence of Joseph, not only in the life of the Holy Family, but in the life of the Church and of all Christians. For this we give him thanks, and for this we give praise and glory to God.